Welcome to another episode of the Roseland podcast. I'm Chloe, your host, and in today's episode I'm chatting with Simon Perry from Wild Roseland about wildflower gardens and meadows. If this is the first episode you're listening to, you can find and listen to the podcast at rosenpodcast.com, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and on all the other podcast apps. Just search for Roseland Podcast. And at rosenpodcast.com, you'll also find links to any of the resources we mentioned, and there's loads of those in this episode. So let's find out all about Wild Roseland's wildflower areas and how you can create your own. Hello, Simon. Good morning, Chloe. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, We're going to be talking about wildflowers and pollinators and the things we can do in our own garden and some of the things that Wild Roseland are up to. But what what made you want to get into in all the different things you could be doing with Wild Roseland or in the garden? What made you want to get into the, the wildflower pollinators piece? Well, it's something I've I've been interested in in the past. Um, my background is before retiring. My background was in environmental education, so I was working with young people, particularly in the outdoors. So I've got quite a lot of experience of developing and using school grounds for um, outdoor play, but also for outdoor environmental studies. Um, and I've also had a long-term interest in insects. My background I've got a background in zoology, a degree in zoology. Um, and in particular moths. So I actually, in my small back garden in Tregony, I operate a moth trap to record the uh, the moths that are flying around at night in the village. Um, uh, two or three other people within the Wild Roseland group do that as well. But uh, when we moved to Tregony three years ago, and I started to get involved in local groups, I went along to a, an AGM of Wild Roseland, uh, I think the talk was on butterflies. It was on butterflies, very good talk. But I was impressed by the number of enthusiasts there are in the area. Mm-hmm. And David, of course, is a great, David Hall is a great enthusiast for all things wild and all things wild Roseland. Um, and he was running a, a small-scale project or uh, heading up a small-scale project on developing areas for pollinating insects by planting wild and sowing wildflowers and he was looking for some support and I thought well that's something I could do I've got a bit of a background in it um, and I thought I could help out and encourage others to do so as well. That's a good so, job you went along to the AGM really isn't it? <laughs> I, yes I was impressed by the number that turn up because normally if you go to an AGM people try and hide away and try not to get involved yes. uh, <laughs> and they're keen to get involved in the, in the group but not necessarily in, in being uh, on committees and things so it's impressive the number that were there so uh, I got swept up by the enthusiasm. And you haven't looked back since I guess? Well it it seems to have taken off since then yes. So what what have you been doing because I know there's there's a few sites around the peninsula that that you've um, I guess taken over probably not quite the right word but but really focused on for improving that pollinator wildflower aspect so do you want to tell us a, a bit about a couple of those? Yeah, um, well, the original idea that David and the uh, uh, the group before I was involved uh, had was to try and develop a site within each of the parishes, so within the five parishes of the Roseland proper, so not including Tregony, just on the on the periphery. Um, but that, uh, for a number of reasons, that that proved quite difficult. They established a small site near Ruin Lanahorn, um, 
which was an existing uh, area of grasslands, a uh, roadside verge, which of course fantastic or can be fantastic for wildflowers, mm-hmm. real refuge for them. Um, and it was all about managing that and perhaps additional plants put into that site to inc- in- encourage a greater diversity, a greater range of plants. Um, so that, that was one that had already been established. Um, there was talk about um, sites elsewhere, including one at, at Gerrans, and a, another existing site on the estate at, opposite the, uh, the Memorial Hall at, at Guaraguela Moor. Um, but that was also all about managing it and not really starting from scratch. So those two involve people going along and, and putting a few plants in, um, in particular cutting and breaking off the cuttings at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll perhaps talk about that in a moment, but that, that's important to encourage the diversity of plants to actually take away some of the cuttings and reduce the fertility of the soil. Um, but those two were, were sort of established, but the thought was to start from scratch somewhere. And two in particular that I've been involved with is another one at Gerrans, uh, within the car park, there's a car park at the top of the hill in Gerrans, uh, Trelone, Trelone Car Park, very oh, is close that the, to the... the one next to the uh, the squash court. It is, yes, oh. uh, very close to the school, just across the road from the primary school. And um, I've got a background in in working with schools. Um, and although although I'm retired, I thought, well, possibly there's an opportunity here for the school to get involved. Um, the I went and spoke to the parish council, Gerrans, Paul Scatho, and they were very enthusiastic um, and they were quite happy not to uh, just close cut the, the bank in the, in the car park, but to actually allow us to uh, take the turf off. So volunteers, we actually removed the turf. We went back to the soil. Uh, we purchased some seed. Again, perhaps we can talk about where we can get seed from purchase some wildflower seed and then we involved the children it was the five-year-olds the youngest class four and five-year-olds in school that came out um learned how to sow the seed then came back this was 2019 so now a year ago came back and watered and weeded uh to take out some of the plants we didn't need like the, some of the thistles and of course they then were able to see it in full flower last summer and we finished off with a wonderful session where they went bug hunting and collected and recorded the the, the beetles and the and the bees and the, a few butterflies as well that were attracted to this tiny it's quite a small site but um it actually improved both the look of the car park lots of people commented on it but it also actually encouraged the children to take an interest and to and to record the the animals coming to it so that was fantastic we moved on from that to a much bigger project and this is the one i think i perhaps like to speak most about because Mm -hmm. we now got a quite large site um on a farmer's field at verian um it's on a farm managed by um, a very supportive uh, farmer mike harrison and it's between um it's on the Carn road immediately opposite the turning to Nairhead car park, the Kibberick car park. Mm-hmm. So people who know the National Trust car park, Kibberick, um, as you turn off the road down that narrow lane to the car park, immediately opposite, there's a field. At the moment, it's supporting a great big wild Roseland banner, and we've put up an interpretive board as well with lots of information, and we're actually encouraging people to go and have a look because it is large enough. It has the wild, wow factor with the wildflowers, the colour, 
but it's also large enough for people to go in and really have a uh, have time to, to to look around and and take on board what we've done. But that was starting as with the Trelone site. That was starting with bare soil, so we could actually put the plants in and monitor and see what happened over a period of time. And how long's that one been? When did you start that project, the largest? We, again, we only started that one in spring uh, 2019. So spring 2019, mm-hmm. um, and uh, great help from Mike, the farmer. He he ploughed it, um, bringing the less fertile soil to the surface. And one of the the good things about, or one of the things we need to take into account if you're sowing wildflowers in your garden is it's it, the, the less fertile the, the soil, the better. Because what you don't want is the more aggressive, um, we'd perhaps call them weeds, but I mean, they're wild, wildflowers, <laughs> but they have, their own, they, ha- they have their own place, but the nettles and thistles and docks and so on, which are great, but what, what will happen on fertile soil if you don't do anything is that they will take over, they will dominate. So bringing the less fertile soil up to the surface, then providing a, a seedbed by harrowing. Um, so Mike did all that. And then we had a whole mass of volunteers going in with hand rakes and doing a bit of hand weeding, preparing the soil and then hand sowing quite mm. a large amount of seed onto the site last spring. Now, what we did there, and in fact, what we did with the children at, at Trelone as well, was to sow a mixture of both annuals and perennials now the annuals are the spectacular ones the mm-hmm. the cornfield plants that we've lost from much of agriculture things like people will be familiar with corn flour but, and corn poppy the, the red poppy of course corn cockle um usually associated with arable land um and they flower in the first year so last year and in fact this year uh, in the spring to early summer there was a fantastic colour of yellow and white and red of all the, and blue from um, the cornflowers and the corn cockles, uh, and that gave an instant colour. But mm-hmm. within that mixture, we also sowed perennials, so the longer-lived plants, which will die back each winter and are cut back, in fact, by us, and then will come again the following year. And that's a gradual process. So those perennials will gradually take over and outcompete the annuals. So we've got the colour at the moment, but eventually we'll have a more established, longer-term uh, meadow field to the area. And the annuals, presumably, they'll do quite a lot of their own seeding in year one, so you don't have to reseed them again in year two. That's that's right. And in fact, it's quite interesting. Um, we've done a little bit of monitoring of, of Mike's meadow, in particular the Berrien site, the big site. Uh, and areas where we had some ridges which we didn't um, where we'd raked and, and didn't uh, didn't uh, um, sow quite so um, so thickly and interestingly where where the ridges were all the seed from last year's come up so the sort of li- lines of corn cockles and particularly corn cockles and corn marigold um, but what we did last autumn with volunteers uh, after it was cut and it was very kindly cut by the National Trust so National Trust based just down the road from there at uh, uh, Caraglou, so on the, the, the local rangers, and they very kindly uh, were able to use their machinery to cut it for us. We had intended to think about scything it, mm-hmm. you know, Poldark style, <laughs> <laughs> but that might be something for the, for the future. It's quite a large area. So it was cut mechanically, and then the volunteers raked all the cuttings off, 
um, we deposited the, deposited the cuttings onto a second area. So what we've done is we've taken the seed from the first area onto a second area. Um, so this spring, we had the perennial mm -hmm. section growing, the bit that established, and then right next to it, we've now got a second area, dub almost doubling the size of the whole plot, in which we had we've gone back to year one. We had all the annuals coming up purely from seed, without having to sow any more seed or buying any more seed in. Oh, so, so, so by cutting it, you can remove the fertilizer from the original area, so it doesn't become too fertile. That's right. We're reducing the fertility. And then use what you've cut off, not for compost, but for for actually creating a larger wildflower area. Really, it's well, really clever. That's what we've done. And now we've got to think about how we manage it into the future. Uh, the first site, I think, you know, is now a gradually uh, developing perennial meadow with a mixture of, of wild um, grasses, but also things like oxide daisy and wild carrot and all the sorts of important and fairly com relatively common plants, but, but <laughs> becoming less common, unfortunately. Um, and then the second area, which we hope to manage by... Um, probably by harrowing each year and actually bringing the seed back to the surface again. So we've, we'll have that colourful annual meadow on one side and the perennial meadow on the other. Now, obviously, these look quite pretty. Um, but mm. what's, the, what's the reason behind what... And, and, and as you said, we could do this on all kinds of scale. We can do this in our own yeah. gardens. What's the reason for why we should be looking to create more wildflower spaces? Well, obviously, the the... the, the the need to um, conserve some of those wildflowers in themselves, although we're not sowing anything rare. We are sowing mainly and using mainly plants which are still reasonably common um, around the countryside. But the idea behind the project was to have larger areas of those plants to encourage our rapidly declining insect populations. And in particular those that are responsible for pollination because you know we're really re dependent not just for agriculture but also for our native plant development on on insects um it's estimated something like 1500 1500 species of insects in the uk alone are responsible for pollination so moths butterflies bees lots of different sorts of bees flies and beetles and we've lost quite a bit of our wildflower rich areas um, and of course consequently um, we've lost some of those insects as well i mean one figure that's banded around often is that 97 percent of flower rich meadows in the whole of the uk it's not just cornwall but 97 percent of our flower rich meadows have been lost since the second world war so and what remains is not necessarily in good good condition coupled with the use of Pesticides. There's been a lot in the news about uh, neonicotinoids. I can never say that neonics, <laughs> which are um, systemic pesticides which farmers have been using. It's actually now reduced or banned in. I think I think most species, uh, most types of that particular pesticide, have now been been banned in 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 the EU and in U, in, in UK. But in the past, that's been a real, real issue because there's no doubt that those pesticides have been passed on to uh, pollinators, particularly bees. And it's um, caused the decline of those bee populations. And if someone, as we've, as we've mentioned a couple of times, you can do this in your own garden, in whatever bit of land mm -hmm. you've got. 
Yeah. What, how does someone, given this, people will be hearing this for the first time in about August, how do they start mm -hmm. creating wildflower space now? Or is it more a case of waiting until the spring to do something? No, I think, I think there are things you can do now. Um, I, I mean, gardens... Uh, I think increasingly people are getting the message about the importance of, of gardens for wildlife, because as a resource, totally, if you take all the gardens that we've got, um, they probably add up to more than all the areas of nature reserves and conservation sites in total. So there are things we can do straight away. I mean, there was a, a project by the um, uh, by Plant Life, one of the conservation charities, to leave your grass unmown for May. So that was no mow May. And I think they then had followed that up with uh, another one in, in June. I'm trying to remember what that was called. Um, but it was a, a, a similar sort of <laughs> idea that you leave, leave your, your lawn uncut for a month or two and record what, what comes up. Um, and there's still there's still chance to do that. So just leaving little patches of a lawn rather than close mowing it, it's surprising, you know, the number of daisies and buttercups and, and other wildflowers that will naturally pop back up. So that's a good start. Um, I think doing a bit less in the garden generally, being a bit less tidy in the garden, leaving a, a, a little patch in the, in the back corner for, for nettles and things, which are going to be good for um, the caterpillars of, of, of species of butterfly, of course, is important. But if you want to do, actually do some active um, conservation actually start bringing in wildflowers into your garden then the autumn is a good time to start because quite a few of the wildflower species um, if you sow them in the autumn the seed will lay dormant over over winter but the colder spell of winter weather will actually uh, encourage the germination so it breaks the dormancy of the seed so that you they, they come up nice and early in the spring I mentioned that um, in our sites we've done spring sowing, and I, I think, to be honest, autumn sowing is is often better um, because they've got that winter period for the seed to um, become established. And I suppose in nature they're being sown in the summer and the autumn for the following right. year, aren't they? So it's not yeah. it's what what the seeds are built to do, really. It's what the seeds are built to do. I mean, the seed that we sowed in 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 the in the spring on our sites, I kept in cold conditions. In fact, some of it in the fridge. <laughs> Over winter, I'd already got the seed, purchased some of the seeds, so I kept it cold because that mimicked, as you say, the natural conditions of, of winter. You can shortcut. Sowing seeds, of course, means that um, you're going to have to do a bit of, bit of work because you've got to reduce the competition. If your soil is quite rich in garden, you've got to reduce the competition of the things which would naturally spring back up. Um, so you could start by putting in plug plants. They're a bit more expensive, but you can buy small plants. Um, in fact, in my small patch of garden here in Tregony, I've got a, a wild area in which I put in some uh, primrose and some um, cowslips and also um, oh, actually foxgloves. Foxgloves have been fantastic this year, but I, I put those in as plug plants. It was a brand new garden. I was starting with just a patch of grass. So putting those in and they are spreading. So once they've established as plants, they will spread naturally without you having to put the seed in. And of course, you can buy uh, turf, wildflower turf and wildflower mats as well to put in. So there's a variety of things you can do, but certainly thinking about leaving areas now and thinking about if you're going to see, sow seeds for the autumn, it, it, it's certainly worth, worth investigating and, and, and planning now. 
Cool. And if someone wants to get involved with Wild Roseland as and when you're back up and running, um, mm-hmm. what's the what's the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, well, if they've got internet connection, um, which hopefully they have if they're listening <laughs> to this podcast, take that as read, um, then there is a, uh, a, the Wild Roseland um, uh, website and also a Facebook page. There's a community page, but there's also a public group where people post pictures of, of wildlife around around the Roseland. Um, but the, the wildroseland.org um website is a good a good starting point because there'll be contact details there and if for example having volunteer work parties to go out to mike's meadow and to trelone and the other sites i've mentioned um that that will be a call to action so people can can come along and what and once they make contact then i'm i won't let them go i'll make sure they get an email from me reminding them <laughs> of, the next, of the next event yes indeed so, indeed well, plenty look- of opportunities there Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about about how we can add more wildness to our gardens. It sounds sounds like a great thing to do, not least because it's less work. So, um, so Simon, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you. So Simon sent us a ton of resources in by email for if you want to find out more about all the different things we were chatting about in this interview. You can find all those resources in the show notes at roselandpodcast.com. That includes details of how to get hold of a new book, Flora of Cornwall, which Simon describes as an excellent comprehensive book with great intros to habitats, etc. And then details of where all species have been recorded all from information collected by amateur botanists across Cornwall. Now, this book is not widely available. You can't find it on Amazon or at Waterstones. So we've included a link to the flyer that has details of how you can order direct from the author by post or by email. How old school is that? Now, um, it's all quite a big file, this flyer, so be patient as it loads, but you can get a link to that on the show notes at roselandpodcast.com. So we've done now a lot of episodes with different groups on the Roseland. So if you would like to find out more about them, then do have a look through the full list of episodes on your podcast player or at rosenpodcast.com. Lindsay and I are always on the lookout for more people to interview. So if you'd like to come on the show and talk about something interesting that's related to the Roseland, the first step is to drop us an email to rosenpodcast at gmail.com with your ideas and any questions you've got. I hope this podcast is helping us all feel a little more connected to our wonderful community. And if you want to make sure you hear the rest of the shows, then bookmark rosenpodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your usual podcast app of choice. Be kind and stay safe.